Hey, what is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of Big Marv's Network. Today we have Nathan Hirsch. I apologize if I fucked up your last name, but he is with Outsource School. These guys are brilliant. I met them actually a while back because I myself, as you guys know, have my own team scaling the dual funnel system. And something I've always struggled with is finding the right people, hiring them, keeping them on the team. I actually personally lost $40,000 last year hiring the wrong people, extending out projects and falling on my face. So Nathan and his team over at Outsource School fills, fills that void. They uh, bridge that gap for you guys. So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. It should be a, a lot of fun. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Outsource School. Yeah, I mean, I'm a longtime entrepreneur. I always joke that I've never had a, a real job. I mean, when I was in college, I, I had some internships. And even before that, my parents made me get uh, summer jobs, winter jobs every single time. And I had some different bosses, worked at Firestone, Aaron's, which is like a, a rent-a-center. And I learned a lot about what I didn't want to do after college. And I, yeah. I didn't want to work for, for someone else. Uh, so when I got to college, I started hustling. I started buying and selling people's textbooks. I actually got a cease and desist letter from my college to stop competing with my bookstore. And, <laughs> and so my parents were, were both teachers. So getting kicked out of college would not have gone over very well. So I kind of did a, a quick pivot there and um, tried Amazon. I had sold some books on Amazon. This was 2009. People didn't really know what Amazon was. It was bursting onto the scene. It's, and I started experimenting with different products and through a lot of trial and error. And, and I think the, the, the error part of it doesn't get enough credit because I tried for a good like six months to a year. I finally came across baby products. And from there, I mean, I hit the, the jackpot. Amazon started to boom. Um, people were, were buying tons of products that weren't books on Amazon. Amazon was just becoming more than a bookstore. And so I was growing this Amazon business and like you, I, I mean, I quickly ran out of time and I had to start hiring people and I made a, a lot of bad hiring mistakes. I tried hiring college kids, my, my friends around me, <laughs> they were super unreliable. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Why do we always hire our friends and shit, the people around us? Why do we always think that's a good idea? I don't know. I mean, it, it, in our mind, it was like fun because I, I was in a fraternity. So it was like, oh, we'll, we'll hire like our, our frat. We had a frat house and we had people would like would go to like the fraternity meetings and then they would like come work in my office. It was like a whole ridiculous situation and it was fun, but it, it wasn't scalable. There were a lot of errors being made. And, and at some point I, I started to mature a little bit and, and take it a little bit more seriously and, and realize that, that that wasn't the way to go if I was really serious about being an entrepreneur. And so you're like, uh, yeah, this this whole frat guy team is just not panning out. Time to put some big boy pants on and figure out how to do this for real. Right? Yeah, except for one. And, and you met him, Connor Gilvin, uh, my business partner. He was my one of my first hires in college. And he's lasted for, for 10 years. He became my partner shortly, shortly yeah. afterwards. But um, he was the only one that was reliable and, and trustworthy. <laughs> So you and Connor was like, all right, so we fell on our face. Let's teach people how to not fall on theirs. And that's kind of how Outsource School was born. Uh, yeah, well, there's a, a gap there. I mean, we, we, we went from college kids to trying to hire people in the real world and hire people for 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a year. And they didn't really take us seriously as a 20 year old entrepreneur when they were 35 and had a family. And so we, we struggled to hire in the US, we struggled to hire in college, we needed to hire to grow our business. And a buddy of mine told me about the Upworks and the fibers of the world. And I hired my first virtual assistant, Chicky Ann, who is a, a rock star. And I kind of saw the potential of what could happen when you hire a really good VA. But we just got lucky. We didn't have a system or process yeah. to find Chicky Ann. She just kind of fell into our lap. And so our next VA hires were, were not good. They cost us time and money. And we were going in circles but we set out on this mission to learn how to hire virtual assistants. And 
When we did, we built another company called FreeUp to compete with the Upworks and the Fibers. And the, instead of going to Upwork and posting a job and getting 100 people to apply and having to go through all them, we wanted something faster. And so we built a marketplace that pre-vetted VAs and freelancers before they let them on the platform, matched them up with clients quickly, had great support, great protection in the back end. It was good for the freelancers because they didn't have to compete with 50 people for every single job, good for the clients. And we scaled this business for four years to eight figures. And we did that with no office, no US employees. It was me, my business partner, Connor, and 35 remote virtual assistants in the Philippines. And we ended up being acquired by one of our customers at the end of last year, which is a whole other story we can get into <laughs> uh, if you want. And, and then we set out to help other entrepreneurs, teach them our systems, our processes, how to hire rock stars quickly, how to avoid issues and, and turnover, how to build different roles in different teams in your business. And that's how Outsource has kind of developed here in 2020. So Outsource School is actually the baby from one of your other projects, free you said free up, and that, yeah, that was to that, and that was basically a platform to compete with other contract services out there like Upwork and Fiverr. So let's talk about that a little bit because, like, what what were you doing like when you were running a business in college and you were hiring all your buddies, right? Like, what what was your product or service? There, like, there was just the Amazon store. Where, like, how did you, how did you get from Amazon store to free up? Yeah, good question. So the Amazon business, we were drop shipping baby products. We started to build relationships with lots of different manufacturers in the U.S. We would send that, or we would get the order. We'd send them the customer's information. They'd make the product, ship the product. We would make the difference between what they charged us, what we sold it for. That, uh, that was the business model. And so we had hired these VAs and freelancers to do all these different parts of the business. But it, Amazon's very seasonal, right? The fourth quarter, things you, you get a lot of sales and then it dies off in the middle of summer, goes back up. And so we didn't need all these people full-time, part-time. And so what we did is we started off going to other Amazon sellers and we said, hey, if you, you can go to Upwork and post a job and get a hundred people and go interview them yourself, or we have this Rolodex of people that we're not using right now and we'll essentially rent them out to you and you pay us, we'll take a percentage, we'll pay them. And, and that's how we really got off the ground saying, Hey, we have people we've already vetted. We'll match you up quickly. And so Amazon sellers really liked that. They would come to us and say, hey, and this was, we built out a platform for it, but before, like the software was really crummy when we started. So they would text me, call me, email me, and be like, hey, I need a graphic designer. I need a customer service rep. I need whatever. We would match them up and, and they'd do the billing through us. And, and then Amazon became more competitive. And those $5 million years we were having became 4 million, became 3 million. We were kind of going in circles. We were still making money, but we weren't really growing a brand or growing a business that we felt like was sustainable. Meanwhile, this little side thing that we had started um, sort of started to take off and more and more people wanted it. We ran out of freelancers. We ran out of VAs. We had to start our own recruitment to get people on the platform and invest in software. So we made the decision to drop the Amazon business and, and focus on free up. All right. So it ended up being like just some like, hey, man, we got these 30 people here. I want to take because I kind of do the same thing like in the beginning. Right, because when I first found my rock stars, like it took me a while and a lot of money to find them. But when I finally got them, then I was then I realized I didn't need them as much, right? And then because I didn't need them as much, you know, they'd go fuck off and do other projects or whatever, and then they wouldn't be available when I needed them again. And I was like, all right, so what can I do for them to keep them? you know, in my circle, keep, keep me top of mind. So basically when I need something, they'll take care of it for me, you know, and that's kind of how Big Marv's network was born, right? Because I was like, well, I have all these students that teach how to automate their brands. They need graphic designers and VAs and all these other people as well. I'll just start internally referring my own internal team to them. And so it's like, you guys had the same problem, but then you were like, well, let's take that problem and, and scale it because other people have the problem too. And so you, you started doing that on the side, basically written out your team and you saw that gap there because you're like, well, all these other Amazon sellers are doing it. Let's create, I'm guess I'm assuming that's how free up was born. 
Right? Yeah, so, and, and we were we really like the the marketplace model, right? Like we didn't want to be an agency. We didn't want to manage these freelancers or VAs. We didn't want the projects to go through us. So we we want we built it out like a marketplace as we were getting more clients. So we'd we'd vet people before they got on the platform. But once they got on the platform, they they ran their own business. They could be offering services on other platforms. They could take or, or reject jobs. We had certain rules on the platform, like if you pick up a job, you have to finish it or we're not going to send you more clients. Um, but we weren't managing them. That the clients didn't give the projects to us. The VAs didn't share the client's information with us and, and all the billings through the platform. So we strategically wanted to avoid the, the whole become an agency thing and focus more on the marketing side. And those initial clients helped us invest in software and had created an affiliate program in there, made the billing automatic, started to automate different things in software. So people would post jobs on the portal. VAs would apply to the jobs. We didn't have to um, do every little thing to match the, the client to the freelancer. And we really built it out from there. And so then naturally, like all the, at least every entrepreneur I've ever met, you were successful at that. And you're like, man, I bet other people want to know how to hire people quickly, vet them and get them into the system. And I'm assuming that's how Outsource School was uh, born. How, how did the first time, you know, um, the, the first time somebody asked you to teach them how to find somebody, how did that, how was that experience? And was that first experience enough for you to go, somebody needs this service? So what really happened is we sold free up and we had like a, a 60 day transition there. So we helped the new owners and, and all that. And then it was the holiday. So we sold it in the end of October last year, early November. So we're hanging out with our families. We're trying to figure out what are we going to do next? Um, the first conversation to, with Connor and I is, are we sick of each other? Do we want to keep working together? Luckily he wasn't sick of me and, and I wasn't sick of him. And so we started doing research. We, we read, read real estate books and podcasts and started brainstorming different businesses and had a lot of some good ideas, a lot of bad ideas, like all entrepreneurs have when they're brainstorming. And so finally people started reaching out to us and asking us if we could teach them our system, our process. So we, we had kind of brainstormed doing this before everyone wants to launch a course and all that. So we launched this starting product called cracking the VA code. Took us about 30 days, 45 days to build. Um, We, it it gave people our system for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing very in-depth cheat sheets, all that kind of stuff. And we just took it to market and we didn't know if people would like it or hate it. And if people took it and they hated it, we were just going to refund them and move on to something else. If they liked it, we saw some potential to, to build it out further and add trainings on how to do different teams, how to build team leaders, stuff like that. And, and not only that, but we launched it the, the week that COVID hit the U S which was just like, extra craziness at that point. But the, the launch went as good as it could go um, during a, a pandemic and, and the initial feedback was really, really good. So from there, we started adding on different trainings and, and turning it into a membership where people that join Outsource School just keep getting access to a new training every single month. And we're adding lots of different things like software that they get, our community SOP library. We have an active group and coaching calls and all this stuff. We've just kind of started with that original thing and just keep adding value to the members. But I mean, the first few months of any company, you have no idea if people are going to like it or hate it. And you kind of go from there. Yeah, exactly. Like I tell my students, you know, like when you're building something, you're getting ready to launch it. Like every, everything uh, leading up to launch is all emotion and theory, right? Like you, you have this theory based on your experience that something's going to happen. And then when you write your messaging and you cater it to your demo, that's all based on emotion because you're trying to provide a solution to their pain points. Right. But then, once you launch it, it's, it's all logic and numbers after that. Now it's, okay, how did the market react? Did they want it? Let's look at these numbers. Okay, they wanted it. Now I have a proven concept. Let's, let's dial it in. And I will tell you guys, I am an outsource school member, right? Because um, it was something I needed. And I wish I had cracked the VA code a year and a half ago when I was looking for VAs. Because, man, I went through some people on Fiverr trying to find my, my guy I got now. You know, um, which brings me up to the next point, which you kind of just breeze over there. And I think it's actually, at least it was for me, the primary reason to get outsourced school. And that's the SOPs. 
right? So what, how did you start writing SOPs? You know, did that just come with the, the territory? Like what, what made you want to build that in and, you know, bring forth simply SOP? Yeah. So first of all, SOPs are incredibly important. If you're listening right now and you don't know that they, they just are, and you're going to either learn it now or you're going to learn it the hard way. And we learned it the hard way. We had this person in our Amazon business who we did one-on-one training with. We taught them everything that was in our head and we trained them for months and months and months. And we didn't create an SOP. We had nothing written down. And one day that person quit on me and we spent their two weeks notice trying to scramble to get everything on paper. And we had them write the SOP. We started working on it then. They'd already checked out at that point, so they didn't do a really good job. And that was a huge nightmare. Well, we learned from that experience. And now every time we're hiring, we're creating roles, we're documenting everything. We even built our own software, Simply SOP, uh, that people that join Outsource School, we just kind of throw it in there as a, a bonus for free because it's so important. You need SOPs. So I mean, we used virtual assistants for everything. At FreeUp, they were taking sales calls. They were billing clients $200,000 a week, processing refunds, handling the toughest customer service issues. Same thing with Outsource School. So we've trained virtual assistants to do all these different things, whether you want to think of it as like one person doing lead generation or an entire team of doing customer service. And it's not just the SOP. An SOP is a part of it, but there are certain ways that you build a customer service team. There's certain ways that you hire for lead generation. So we create these trainings that the SOP is included in the trainings along with different cheat sheets, different workbooks that help you get this job done faster and get a trip VA up to speed faster. And we release a new one every single month in outsource school. So like we've got lead generation, we have podcast outreach because I go to a lot of podcasts, customer service, bookkeeping, uh, team leaders, because you don't want to have 35 virtual assistants all reporting to you. You want to have uh, actual team leaders and assistant team leaders. So all these trainings are stuff that, that we really do. And people get to watch us build outsource school using these same trainings that, that we're kind of teaching you. Like right now, we're hiring a sales virtual assistant for outsource school. We're sharing our experience with our members inside of our group. And we're going to be launching a playbook on how to do that relatively soon. So it, it all kind of comes together. Yeah, no, I I love it. You know, like so as you guys know, I came from Microsoft, right? So Microsoft is very, very big on technical documentation. You know, they're really big on SOPs. And for those of you listening or watching, SOP stands for standard operating procedure. I just realized some of you might not know that. But basically if if you're building a business and you want to scale it. And it, this it, this goes for anything. Like you could be building a website, you could be cooking, you'd be doing anything. I want you to think of uh, SOP as like a recipe from a recipe book, right? It's and SOPs or processes are the key to scale. Like if you don't have a process that you can rinse and repeat over and over again, you can't scale whatever that thing is, right? Because if the variable changes every time you don't really have a streamlined process, right? Like, could you uh, imagine, you know, somebody that like recipes, writing down recipes, people learning how to bake and cook based on having these recipes, right? That's how grandma gets the same biscuits every single time because she has the recipe in place. When we're writing programs, Right, and we're programming, building websites. How do you get the same website to do the same thing every single time? Will you follow the same steps every single time? It's, it sounds so simple, but it's often the thing that gets overlooked. And uh, I've seen so many businesses, they have single point of failures because like Nathan had, when that one person knew everything and all the knowledge was in their head and they had no documentation they had no standard operating procedures. So now you have a single point of failure in your business and you didn't even do it on purpose. But the truth is, if they call out sick, if, if they die tomorrow, you know, boom, your business just failed because you had a single point of failure. I've actually even gone into businesses because, you know, my primary role is people hire me as a consultant to go in, analyze their ecosystem and tell them where they can improve and make it efficient. And I've had team leads and 
other people get mad and take offense to me calling them. I'm like, no offense, Brandon, but you're a single point of failure in this company. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I'm not, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's, it's not you. And you guys didn't even do it intentionally, but let me set up a scenario. And then you set it up and then they go, oh, now I realize what you mean. You can literally collapse the whole fucking business because one person has all the knowledge here and you don't have any steps. So after using simply SOP, um, it's like for me, it, it goes back to time, right? Like I didn't have, I don't have the time to teach my guys all the knowledge that I learned at Microsoft on writing technical documentation, you know, and writing processes and putting it together. So one of the things I noticed about simply SOP is it actually gives you that breakdown of how to build these documents, how to store everything, proper use on them, when to use them. And then you give your community library of like, hey, maybe you're brand, brand new to this and you've never written a service or a SOP before. Well, guess what? You've probably done all of these things before and this is probably what you're trying to do. So here's what we do to uh to solve this problem apply to your 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 business and your brand you can load it in easy to edit so um how how many sops would you say you've written to this day oh man thousands and here's here's actually the cool thing i mean think of like microsoft like bill gates isn't writing all the sops at microsoft yeah the the actual employees the the people in the company get the sops well the same thing applies with virtual assistants eventually you want to get your, your VAs to own the task and be responsible for the SOP. It's like when we sold free up, we had 35 VAs across five to seven different teams. Like that would have been crazy if Connor and I were writing all the SOPs and updating them over time. So we had VAs building SOPs, making them better, giving us feedback. If we change something because every startup changes stuff all the time. It was their job to update them, not our job. And we would check them. So when we went to sell free up and the new owners were doing their due diligence and they wanted to see all of our SOPs, we had them ready to go organized that were built by the virtual assistants. And we try to get our our members of outsource school inside that mentality. And we show them how to do that with VAs. And that's a little bit more high level. You might not do that with the first VA you've ever hired, but that's what the potential is to to do when you have a, a strong virtual assistant team. And you have the process documented. Right. Right. Like that. Again, that's uh brings us all back to scale. That's actually a pretty good point that you bring up is passing on that, you know, that responsibility to your teammates. Now, one of the things that I struggled with the most as I was beginning to hire and outsource was giving up control. Right, like giving up like right right now what I do is just write the automation strategy and then I give it to my team and they build it up. But you know how long it took me to say, Here's the strategy, here are the funnel pages you need, here's the campaigns you need, and not personally go like just do it all myself. It was very hard to give up that control and be able to move on. Like, did you experience that yourself when you began to outsource and delegate some of those responsibilities? Yeah, I think everyone's kind of gone through it on some level. I remember, so Connor, who you met, is just, he's super smart. He's good at doing stuff. And it took me forever to, to kind of convince him and, and get him to, to hand off and pass stuff to, to different people. And I mean, I, I was the same way, like my Amazon business, you, you kind of fall into a habit where you're like constantly refreshing the metrics and looking at sales and making sure every single fine detail is intact. But I think as you get older and as you gain more experience as an entrepreneur, you, you learn that that leads to burnout. It's not sustainable that other people have to have decision-making power in your business and that other people just know stuff that you don't know how to do and that are better than you. And Alex Sharfin, who, who you, I know in, in the marketing space, he has a great quote that um, it, it, what's it called? It says, if you, if you think you're the only person who can do something in your business I have news for you. You're not that special. <laughs> and, and it's just like super true because there's always someone out there that can do stuff just as good as you, if not better. I like, I say everybody has a superpower. Right. I damn sure don't, I can't do everything that everybody else does. You know, I have my superpower and I'm focused on that. And like, I'm just becoming the best at automation and strategy. Like 
I don't need to be the best funnel builder, media buyer, <laughs> YouTube guy, SEO guy, and automation guy. You know, you don't you don't have to do all of that. And I think what's really nice about outsource school is it's perfect for those entrepreneurs that are starting to scale, right? Because you're learning the process of delegating out. So if you, once you join outsource school, you're learning those processes of hiring people and getting them to take over your team, but then you get access to simply SOP. So you can write the processes along the way. So it really sets you up to what I would say, scale properly, right? It keeps you from having a ball on your face um, repeatedly by, by having that, that process that you can follow you know, follow without falling, follow without falling. Yeah. As my coach likes to put it, you have to, uh, you have to delegate to elevate. It's kind of cheesy, but true at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so now that, you know, you've attained the position that you are now, what is a day, a day in the life of Nathan look like now that you're not personally pushing all the buttons and you do have your, your scaled yeah, so um, I'm trying to think of my normal day versus my day like now because I'm in the middle of a move. I just bought a house in Colorado. So we're moving from Florida to Colorado, long drive, um, and we're packing. And so all my time that I'm not working, I'm usually packing right now. Um, but normal life, I mean, I wake up at seven. I like to wake up early, get my most important thing done in the day. Um, I work out for an hour after that. I'm, I'm big into fitness. Uh, from there, I usually do one podcast a day or my your podcast today, even though I'm doing it uh, later than I normally do. And, and then in the afternoon, I take whatever phone calls and meetings I have. I'm usually done by two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. And from there, I mean, we're in a pandemic. There's only so many options. I hang out with my fiance or dogs, yeah. uh, travel a little bit when it's safe. And that's about it. So your, your day-to-day operations for outsource school is like, you, you pretty much have it handed off at this point. Is, a, is it, would you call it a, a passive income? Now you're focusing more on just creating the content, serving the tribe. I wouldn't call it passive income yet only because we're, we're still in the building stage, right? Like we've only had outsource school for, for seven months. There's a lot of both sales automation, there's content to make stuff like that. I mean, in terms of like the day-to-day and all the small tasks, like VAs handle all of that. I'm more focused on, on higher level stuff right now. Like I mentioned, I, I'm training a sales virtual assistant. So or I want to build out like a sales team and I say sales, but it's really for people. I mean, if people are listening and they're interested in joining outsource school, we want to give them someone to talk to who will answer their questions and see if it's a fit for them. And that person can't be me all the time. So, and you can't, the thing with hiring yeah. a sales virtual assistant, you, you can't just hire one of them, right? Like what if that person needs a week off? What if, so we're building a, a team of sales virtual assistants. So that's my primary focus now while Connor does some marketing stuff, but th- that kind of changes as you go. You kind of look at the company as a whole, you figure out, okay, what part do I have to focus on? Where do we need to hire, automate, implement systems? And that's kind of the part that we focus on rather than me responding to every single email responding to every little thing so what what would be your number one piece of advice that you would give that entrepreneur that that hasn't hired the first person yet but they're at that point where they're ready to bring on their first va what what would your advice be with to who would would you tell them to bring on and what kind of task would you tell them to delegate out Yeah. Tough question. I'll answer it though. (laughs) So first you have to understand what I would tell them is you have to understand you have to learn how to hire. If you learn how to hire as an entrepreneur, it just makes everything else easier for you going forward. When you have to market, when you have to do customer service, when you have to sell a business, whatever it is, it becomes a million times easier when you know how to hire well. So that has to be a priority more than learning the latest like Facebook hack or tactic, like learn how to hire. From there, figuring out for, I mean, I can tell you what I hire first. I hire someone to get me out of my inbox and run my inbox so that I can focus on bigger picture tasks. And I hire a bookkeeping or billing person so that I'm not doing the books and I get accurate numbers so that I can make business decisions based on the numbers. And if I did the books, 
they wouldn't get done right anyway because that's just not my special mm-hmm. talent. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's not my thing. So it, those are my two hires. They are good first two hires. We have trainings on how to do that in outsource school. But just because those are my first two hires doesn't mean that every single business should do that first. And one of the things that I'm proud of at Outsource School is we have an onboarding process where we meet with you and we figure out who your next hire should be. And we walk you through our content and what you should go through first. Um, I, the, 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 that's the long answer. The short answer is you want to take all the tasks that you know how to do, that you have systems and processes for, and you want to take the easiest tasks and start with those. And your, your initial goal should be to get five hours a week back. If you can get five hours a week back, that's 260 hours a year, six and a half weeks of your year that you're going to get back. You're going to learn a lot from that experience. It's not going to cost you very much. It's going to cost like 1300 bucks for the year, um, around five bucks an hour for a VA. So if you can focus on the easiest tasks that you know and have systems for um, and focus on getting five hours a week back, to me, that's where I would start for 95% of the entrepreneurs out there. And there's always going to be some exceptions. Oh, I hundred percent agree. I, it's actually surprising. One of the questions that I get asked a lot is, um, "Hey, hey, Marv, what what do you have your VA do? Like, what are some of the things you have your VA do? Like, what what's something I should focus on or not focus on? Because you know the the goal is to get to that pos- that position to where." Yeah, all you are focusing on is the bigger picture stuff. All you are doing is the overarching, what do I need to do to scale the business from here? Create content, serve your tribe, and then you have a team that you leverage to do everything else. But it can be hard to be like, okay, so what exactly do I delegate out? And at what point do I give this part up? You know, and a lot of people, um, they, they always think of like, the the big things that typically take the most amount of time and they're like immediately trying to go from 50 hours a week to five hours a week, you know? So I, I like how you really put it like, no, just trim off five hours. Like if you can trim off five hours, look at the compounding effect of saving five hours a week. Right. And that's what I typically tell them. Like, Hey, start with the little things. Like what are the little tedious things that you do? every day that you could like just pass that off you know like you spend an hour every day when you first wake up in the morning right you check all your your emails you check your page messages you check your text messages like you basically find out who all responded to me what do i need to map out and fit into my day today right maybe that's the first thing you, you task out because now you can take that hour in the morning and instead of being reactive to all that bullshit now you can be proactive and think about what goals can i crush today or like what other things can i do today so and it's not just about like the hours that you get back it's what you do with those hours yeah where, where are you actually going to focus your time and that's why i like the the email virtual assistant first because that lets me focus early on in the morning where I'm most productive on whatever the most important task is. If, if I'm pr- most productive the first two hours of every day, if I even spend 30 minutes of that every day on emails, that's a, a quarter of my productive time gone. So I want to focus that on the most important projects rather than tasks that someone else can do for me. So speaking of doing things early in the morning, would I'm assuming that you have a morning routine, right? Yeah, I'm weird. I can like jump out of bed and just like get to it. Like I, I do a morning routine. I, I walk the dogs when I wake up. I make a cup of coffee. I'll, I'll like check some different things. Uh, but I usually like the first two hours of the day, I'm like working. I'm getting the most productive thing done. And then I work out when, I mean, it's only like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock when I work out. My morning routine is like wake up, take care of the dogs, make coffee with the rest of my day. I, I actually, I like your morning routine better than some of the recommended morning routines that I hear floating around on the internet. So would you, would you say that it's important that entrepreneurs dial in or have a morning routine? 
Um, I mean, it works for me. Like I have a, a entrepreneur friend, Brandon, who's most productive from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. So, and like, there's something wrong with that. I mean, I, for me, it's figure out when are you most productive and make sure you're maximizing those hours every single day. Because like, by the time a lot of people wake up, I've already done like if I don't do anything else the rest of the day, the day was still a win. So for, for me, like even if you're only working two hours a day, like make sure you're maximizing those hours and getting the most out of them. So it doesn't have to be morning. I think routines are good when, when you're an entrepreneur. Um, I used to not think that way when I was in college and everything was crazy and running a business and you could sleep till 11 and do whatever. Um, but but I, I find the routine helps because just businesses like small consistent efforts beat like big bursts all the time that in my opinion, like I get, I get a lot more done by just chipping away at projects than I do about like working 16 hours a row and trying to crank this project out. But oh, yeah. I, I'm sure it's different for, for everyone. Uh, I, uh, I personally, you know, don't believe in time, right? I, I think time is the same as money. They're both just variables that humans created to use as tools to accomplish different things. Right. So I, I don't necessarily think it's a morning routine that's important, but it's like you said, maximizing that time, right? And I, I'm one of those people that are most productive at 2 a.m., right? So um, and I've hired personal trainers and I've like literally, this has actually been my biggest struggle the last two years is like I'm hiring people and everybody that I'm hiring, like literally every single to this day i've not met a personal trainer that agrees with my theory on time but um they're like no bro you gotta fucking wake up at 5 a.m do xyz you know millionaires are motivated like like that's how they do it you got if you want to be a millionaire you gotta act like a millionaire and all the other bullshit that comes with like morning routine but i believe it's just you know when do you wake up and start your day Whenever that is for you, that's when you should be the most proactive, right? It's because it's more important to look at your days in a proactive mindset than a reactive mindset. So if you take those first couple of hours of the day and you're like, what goals do I need to accomplish? I'm right there with you on like, I don't want to work fucking 18 hours straight. Or six. I did that at Microsoft. Like I left Microsoft for a reason. If I wanted to work like that, I would just go back to Microsoft where they work me like a dog. <laughs> you know, um, it's more about like, what goals do I want to accomplish today? Oh, I wanted to finish that funnel or I wanted to finish that automated sequence or I wanted to shoot that video. As long as I get that done today, today was a good day. You know, and then that, you know, it really eases up the stress and the overwhelm of like, I see so many entrepreneurs get inside of their own head and they feel like, you know, failures like, oh man, this guy over here is like crushing it. And I'm just like this lazy person that's not doing it. Or for whatever reason, I can't crack the code. Like, I wish I could just be like you and, and nail this, this or that. And um, I, I think it's actually detrimental to like look at others and say, man, I want to live just like that person and emulate them. I think it's more about finding what works for you and your zone. You know, yeah, like I completely agree. You, There's you no one way to, to do that? anything. <laughs> but ha have you seen other entrepreneurs like do the same thing? I imagine you see the same thing in your circles as well. Um, yeah, I mean, every entrepreneur is different. Like I, I feel like I probably wake up on the early end. Like I wouldn't base anything like on how, how Nathan Hirsch does it. Like every, every entrepreneur is just weird in their own way. Um, but you have to figure out what works for you and what, what you're having success with. Like my way works for me. It might not work for you. If I had to work from 2am to 4am every day, like I, I probably wouldn't do that much. <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree with this. I mean, I guess that's, it just boils down to everybody's personal, like where where they're at and, you know, what's productive to you. But I think it's important that I let you guys know, you know, don't, don't beat yourselves up. If, you know, if you're, if you're reading like these five hour work weeks and these, these awesome, you know, books that are pushing you to be the best version of yourself, like, the the whole point of like 
seeing other people's processes or seeing other people's, you know, the way that they do things is, I, w- I want to encourage you to study it, maybe try it out, but I want you to constantly be looking at and adapting to those things to make it work for you and yourself, right? Like there, there's a uh, hundred ways to skin a cat and there's not, I don't think the, the one perfect way to do it, you know? There, there's, uh, you can get efficiency in multiple different ways, essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. So when, when you guys, what, what's the next step for outsource school? Where do you guys see that going like 10 years from now? Oh man, 10 years from now. I'm a very short-term thinker. Uh, I don't don't make short-term like decisions that are going to jeopardize the future. But I mean, the way I look at it, like if you asked me 10 years ago, if I'd be selling baby products on Amazon, I wouldn't have believed you. If you had asked me five years ago, if I'd be running a freelancer marketplace, I wouldn't believe you. And if you asked me a year ago, if I would have sold a company and be working on this new company, I wouldn't have believed you. So I, I don't know where what I'll be doing in, in 10 years, but I mean, we're excited about Outsource School. I think that um, we, we're, we're happy with the feedback that we're getting. I think we have more work to do to build it out. I think there are certain systems that, that we're not 100% happy with just because we, we haven't had enough time to, to build them out. So, I mean, our goal is to get to 1,000 members and beyond and, and grow from there and get people that want to stick around and create a situation where we're adding new trainings. Um, our members, our partners are adding new standard operating procedures. And there's just so much value that Outsource School is just continuing to help tons and tons of entrepreneurs. And I mean, we, we donate 3% of all sales to our favorite charity, Teach for the Philippines. So hopefully we're able to donate tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars eventually um, to them. And I mean, we kind of looked at it just in the same way that we did free up. Like we want to help and make impact with as many people as possible. And uh, yeah, hope we're able to do it. So, all right, as your question, how do you like define success? Like, uh, have have you gotten yourself there yet? And would you would you consider yourself successful? I don't know if I'm successful. I mean, I define success. I guess by my definition, my definition of success is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, uh, with the caveat that you're having success with other people. It's not you at the top and everyone else below. It's that you're, you're helping other people, whether it's your business partner, your team, which we made sure to take care of. Like when we sold free up, like our success only works if you're doing it with other people. But I think freedom and flexibility, like I can, outside of a pandemic, I can uh, be what I, where I want, do what I want at any given moment. And work on projects that I'm passionate about and just enjoy life. I mean, life's short, like just freedom and flexibility is success in my opinion. I I would have to say, I mostly agree with you, right? Um, for, for me, I believe like success is, you know, like you said, you have the freedom and flexibility to do what you want. Yes. Like I have that right now. I've been lucky enough and you know i've worked hard enough over the last four years that now i live what people would call a life of freedom i make my own schedule work when i want i work remotely like i don't live by you know any other person's terms but my own but the same token i wouldn't call myself successful yet because there's still other goals in life where because basically I want to have that mama, I made it moment, you know, like I don't feel like I've had that moment yet because for me, it's like, well, I want to have like this farm, you know, I want to build like this thing for my kids and have these other things. I feel like I won't be, you know, successful, so to speak until then. But I think like success is a dynamic word for every single person because success for somebody else might mean, a million dollar condo on the beach in Dubai, right? Success for somebody else might mean uh, the ability to travel anywhere they want at any given time. Um, so what, what would you say to entrepreneurs that are basically ch- chasing success, but maybe they, they're not quite finding it yet? What kind of advice would you give them on achieving their own success? Yeah, I mean, we live in a 
a pretty incredible time. Like when else could you just start a business with a few thousand dollars and a laptop and try things and get in access to instant trainings from different people. I know there's some like scams out there, but there's plenty of people, great people teaching legit, legit stuff. So, I mean, there's just so many opportunities. And I mean, outside of every like success story, like when I, when I go on podcasts and they're like, Oh, give me a quick summary. I'm like, Oh, I sold, like I sold on Amazon. I started this company. I like sold it. And now I'm working outdoor school. Like that sounds great, but there was also years of failure and trying lots of different things and throwing stuff against the wall in there. That yeah, like doesn't you said, 10 year span, you know, like, right. It took 10 years to get from there to outsource school. So, uh, sorry for cutting you off, but no, um, it, like, right. it, like, uh, I think it's a, it's a 100%. Like, people even look at me like, holy shit, Big Marv, like, how do you do it? I, wanna, I was like, you guys don't see the $60,000 I spent in fucking courses over the last four years. You know, you, you guys didn't see, like, the six months after I left Microsoft for that entire six months was 60, 70 hours a week of just like hustling. Did I hit six figures in five months? Yes. But do you know how many times I fell on my fucking face in that five months? And it was 70 hours a week. So, you know, hopefully you can make a hundred grand if you're working that many goddamn hours, <laughs> you know, a, a week for six months straight. But, you know, a lot of people don't don't see that, but it's like you, you said, like you, you give them the short version and then they, their eyes light up and they're like, holy shit. But you're like, well, you guys didn't see that 10, 10 years. So like, what, what were you saying? Um, what, what would you tell them beyond beyond like you guys didn't see the 10 years or what would you tell them to encourage them to keep pushing to earn that success that they want so bad? Yeah. I mean, you got to try different things. Like that, that's the key. Like <laughs> courses are great and learning from other people is great. At some point you have to try things and try things that other people are doing, try things that other people are not doing and see like, that's how you're going to come across it. Like everyone that thinks they have a good business idea, they, they don't really know it. They're, they're really making educated guesses. Like even with outsource school, like we think that or at the beginning, we thought we were going to do well to this day. We, we think that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish with it, but we don't know. Like there's tons of different factors that, that could come up and that there is a certain element of trial and error and action beats learning every single time. The people that are out there taking action every single day, they're going to fail more, but they have a higher percent chance of finding something that works and potentially finding something that works that no one else is doing yet. So that that's kind of the, the way that I look at it. I'm, I'm a big proponent of throwing stuff against the wall and, and trying things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And that's what I would encourage people to do, especially at a time where we're sitting at home, we're in a pandemic, you've got a laptop, you've got internet and the possibilities are endless. Yeah, why why not? You know, why not start a new digital business in this in this time? Um and you know, you're you're absolutely right. Like imperfect action like will will beat learning like ten new fucking courses any day of the week, right? Like I actually just had a sales call with somebody who, you know, uh I didn't close them by the way because they were just not in a position yet but they basically said i see the value in what you do and they thanked me because they were like you know i see a lot of courses and i've gone through a lot of trainings but yours is one of those types where you're very clear and transparent where it's it's not for people that don't take immediate action right and he's like uh, it could easily be a shiny toy for someone and what people would write off as a shiny toy because of the amount of effort you have to put into implementing, you know, the system. Because if you want to build an automated system on my level in a really short period of time, you have to do some shit in, in three months, right? So that was just one of the things that they said. They were like, this is for action takers only. And, you know, I have to appreciate that because... I did it on purpose. I polarized that way on purpose to filter out non-action takers because that is the one thing that I've learned is you take action. Like, you, yes, you're going to fall on your face probably a lot, but then you're going to have times where you got through, 
right? You learn from that last one, then you try it again, and it takes off that fourth or fifth time. You, you know, um, another thing another thing I've heard is, you know, one published book is better than a hundred unpublished books, right? Because what good is it if you're writing novels if nobody else has a reason? Hundred percent agree. Right, like fucking publish your eBooks, publish your books, put it out there. Like you guys, my my tagline is "Put your dick on the table for a reason." You know, just put it out there. They can look at it, talk about it, or leave the room. And you know, all three of those outcomes are okay. <laughs> you know, you just got you just got to take action. Um. So. You you said you were want you were what Amazon doing Amazon ten years ago. What what were you doing that? Because I, I I like to jump back and forth. You'll notice. Uh, what what were you doing ten years ago that were you were like man this Amazon thing looks cool, like so I know you were in college. So what did you go to college for? Uh, I went to college in Quinnipiac University, Connecticut, for small business and. I have a degree on my wall that I've never used. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a degree in business. So I'm guessing, I'm assuming that, did you get, I mean, paid advertisement. It's hard for me to believe paid advertisement was where it is right now, 10 years ago, but I guess it's in different forms. How did you learn about Amazon? There was no Kevin Davids 10 years ago. No, um, if I had played my cards right, I, I could have been on that Kevin David level if I had just tried to teach people instead of doing it myself. Because uh, I got in super early. I had to be one of the first 1,000 people um, like drop shipping products on, on Amazon. Um, I mean, I got in via textbooks. Like, like I said, um, my college sent me that cease and desist letter. I had sold some books on Amazon, so I, be, I was a little bit familiar with it. And I saw that people were selling other products on Amazon besides books. And so I started experimenting and trying to build relationships with different manufacturers. And I tried selling everything from computers to video games to sporting equipment, like all your typical college guy stuff. And I just failed over and over and over, but I just kept finding products and listing them and trying to see what would sell. And one day I listed a baby product and it sold a, a few times in one day and solicited some more and some more and some more. And that kind of led me down that path until I was like, Hey, there's a big market for baby products on Amazon and went, went all in there. So there was not really there. So were there any like groups back then? Or any like uh, no software, no Facebook courses, groups, no courses like that. No gurus. It was literally just trial and error. Yep. Just like, and then how did how did drop shipping work back in the day? Because I imagine you didn't have like I'm going to build a Shopify store and use the Alibaba app and then connect it and hit go and have a drop shipping store in ten minutes. <laughs> no. So um, I mean we. We didn't even know it was called drop shipping for like the first two years we were doing it. In our mind, we had like, we, we kind of looked at our, our situation logically. We're like, all right, we have no money to buy inventory. We don't have any place to put inventory, even if we got money to buy inventory. So we, we were like, what if we went to these manufacturers and you have to understand these manufacturers, they didn't really know what Amazon was. They didn't know what e-commerce was. None of them were really doing e-commerce. We just said, Hey, like, what if we add another revenue stream to what you're doing? Like, you let us list your products. We can mark it up or however we want. You keep our credit card on file. We'll, when we get an order, we send it to you. You charge our card. You ship it where we tell you to. And it's a win-win for both parties. And we, we would just started reaching out to manufacturers. And some of them said <laughs> no. Some of them said yes. And the ones that said yes sent us their product list. And we, had, we hired VAs and teams to list them on Amazon. And that was the business. Holy shit. So you like that was drop shipping before drop shipping was a thing. Yep. <laughs> it just blows my mind a little bit because you know I, it's not very often that I get to talk to guys that have been in the game for over ten years because you know I always tell myself like man I wish I knew what I know now ten years ago, but then I being a tech guy I know what kind of technology we had ten years ago. It was bad. <laughs> so even if I had the knowledge that I have today, 10 years ago, I still couldn't, you know, like, I, I don't know, the just technology just wasn't there 10 years ago. 
right? Like if I wanted to, so my personal brand blueprint, for example, is a 103 day email sequence based on engagement that moves you around my pipeline. That shit didn't exist 10 years ago, you know, like, so how would I do that? <laughs> there, There is no monitoring open rates and, and doing all the things that I do like in an email automation. So it just blows my mind to hear some of these stories of like, not nah, bro, I was a drop shipper before drop shipping was cool. Like you, you really could put OG drop shipper on a t-shirt and sell it. I'm Nathan. OG, like you should start a private little mastermind group of all the OG drop shippers. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> you just go flex on everybody. I was Ty Lopez before Ty Lopez was Ty Lopez. <laughs> um. So. What what was it like um, when you were reaching out and you were finding those those warehouses, right, and those manufacturers? And you said some were telling you no. Were there any points in time where you felt like I'm just gonna throw in the towel, fuck this, it's not gonna pan out, and you almost walked away? Were there any times like that when you were building that business? I mean, not really, only because I really didn't want to work for someone else. <laughs> and I kind of looked for at college, like I had four years to figure it out, uh, or I was going to have to go out and, and get a real job. And I really didn't want to do that. I mean, there were times that I came close, maybe. I mean, I, the, the time I was talking about where I trained someone for a while and they quit on me, there's a little bit more to that story. I mean, I, I went on my first vacation in over a year and they quit on me while I was on vacation. So it was a total disaster. Um, and actually, had oh, a big manu- <laughs> yeah, had a big manufacturer drop me at the, like the same day. So it was like a total chaos disaster. And as you get more experience as an entrepreneur, you start to get numb to those kind of moments. <laughs> um, but at the time, like you're, it's big swings. You think you're on top of the world and then it comes crashing down and then you kind of build it back up and then something else hits you. Um, whereas now it's kind of like, all right, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. If it's, if it's high, you, you stay grounded. You're like, all right, we're, we have more work to do. And if it's low, you're like, all right, it's a problem that we just need to figure out a solution for. There is, uh, now you, you said that as you transition from, you know, drop shipping into free up and just pursuing that, that full time, what was kind of the nail in the coffin to your dropshipping business? I mean, we kind of killed it. Like the, the it, it, how do I put this? If we'd sold up baby products on Amazon for six years plus, almost seven, we, we weren't passionate about selling baby products at first. We're still not passionate about selling baby products now. Uh, we weren't really growing our own brand. We were completely dependent on Amazon. Amazon could change their algorithm and they were changing their algorithm. Um, so every time we thought we figured something out, they would just change it. So, and, and, and it was getting more competitive. So not only were we just kind of not, we, we didn't see that we were going to grow this to be a huge company anymore. We were kind of just going in circles. And at the same time, we didn't really own anything. We were selling other people's products. No one knew what our store was. We didn't have a brand or a website or anything. So when we started FreeUp and FreeUp started to take off a little bit and with FreeUp, we're growing our own brand. We're doing B2B which we thought was a lot more fun than B2C. We saw a lot of potential there. It became a pretty easy decision to cut off the Amazon business. When you say that it was uh, B2C and B2B was way more fun anyways, can you give us an example of why? Yeah, I mean, I, I like working with other entrepreneurs. I like coming on shows like this. I, I like networking. I like helping other people. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with B2C. It's just my personal preference is B2B. And I, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back to a B2C business uh, unless there was some kind of uh, acquisition or something that made sense. I like how you say, I'll never go back. You know, it's the same thing that pushes me every single day when people like, Cause you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs like you just got to discover your why. Like I've even told motherfuckers that it's true, but I guess you could say my why is I'm never going back to a fucking day job. Like that's, that's what drives me every day. Like, sure. Leave the security for my family. Obviously, you know, being able to give my kids the life I never lived, obviously, you know, like being able to impact a hundred Cause like I want to handcraft a hundred millionaires. I haven't gotten there yet. It's still a long road to do it. So 
of course, those things are my why too, but realistically down deep in my core, it's just because fuck a day job, you know, it's like, I'm not going back to a day job. So would you agree that like you, you have to have some kind of defined purpose or why to, uh, to be successful and do what we do? Yeah. I mean, like we got away without doing that for years. There was no why to our Amazon business, but I mean, it got old really quick and I mean, free up, we got to help entrepreneurs. We got to pay out millions of dollars to freelancers and make a difference in a lot of people's lives. And with outdoor school, I I mentioned teach for the Philippines plus helping other entrepreneurs skip the the trial and error that that we went through when we were hiring our first VA. So I, I think the why is very important. Now the key is, and I think a lot of people miss this is you don't need to know your why like this exact second. You can't, the why can come over time. You should eventually get a why, but if you don't know exactly what your why is right now, don't worry, you'll still be okay. Yeah, you will figure it out. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, people that think they can't start a business without a website and a logo first. Yeah. I, I thought that was no longer a thing, but that is still a thing. Like people still think, Oh, I'm starting a business. I need to get a website and a logo. I'm like, no, you really don't. You just got to get on the phone with people. That's what you got to do. But it's funny <laughs> it, to say that. If, if, every... we, if, if we boil it down, that's really all you got to do is get on the phone. So whenever we start a business, we do launch a website and a logo. But for the most part, like in six months, both things are, are unrecognizable. They're totally different. So even like you, you're hundred percent right. You can start a business with no website or a logo or create a logo, create a crappy website and then make it better when you're ready. <laughs> That's the other thing I tell people like, dude, don't fucking matter. Like we're not driving traffic to it. You guys really need somebody to be able to go to marvinkaufman.com and see like, Oh, there's a Marvin Kaufman. And this is a two sentences about what he does. And here's a button to contact him. Like, you really don't need a whole lot. Like uh, go on Canva or pay some kid $5 on Fiverr. Like just, it goes back to taking imperfect action. Just get it out there, make some money first, then go hire an expert to do a bang up job. Like you said, cause in six months, you're not going to recognize whatever the fuck you came up with in the yeah. first place. You might even completely change, you know, your name. I've seen that before too. So well, since you said it's absolutely important, that means you must have a why. So what is yours? Yeah. I mean, I want to help other entrepreneurs and help other virtual assistants and freelancers. And you help VAs and freelancers by providing them opportunities, better opportunities than they would have in their, their home state with the, the local jobs to them. And entrepreneurs, we help them doing what we know best, which is teaching them how to hire, because we believe that hiring makes such a big difference on so many levels with business. I mean, it helps your stress level. It helps your sleep level. Uh, it helps your productivity. It helps you accomplish your goals faster. So those are really the why on both sides. And, and we never want to lose sight on both sides. I think a lot of people are just focused on the clients, but uh, we want to show an equal why to the, the VAs and the freelancer side as well. I mean, it, it sounds awesome to me. Like uh, every time I hire somebody, it's with the intention of like, I just want to make your life better because I get to be an American over here. And as crazy as our country may look, you know, from media outlets, like we still have a pretty fucking good here in America, you know, uh, in comparison to other countries. So I like that, you know, part, part of your mission is to not only take care of your B2B clients that are relying on outsourced school to, to, you know, leverage teams, but you're also thinking about the people back in the Philippines or, you know, other countries where you're, you're outsourcing these jobs and you're thinking about them and how you're able to impact their life, make their lives better. So, you know, it just kind of comes full circle. Right. I a hundred percent agree. So, and so when you said you don't like to plan things and plan it out, what you no, no, really, what, what you, what you really meant is <laughs> in 10 years, all you want to do is be able to look back and say, fuck, I changed some entrepreneurs' lives with my processes. How whatever processes I happen to develop to help them over the next 10 years is what I developed to help them, but my goal is to help these guys out. And as long as I continue to do that, I'll be pretty happy. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, we plan. Don't get me wrong. We don't just throw stuff against the wall at all times. But like, what I mean is, I'm not planning ten years out. I'm planning quarters yeah. out, weeks out, days out. That's what I'm doing. And my but business partner, I, I, I need to more be a minimum like plan a quarter out because I really do like fly by the seat of my pants. But it works. It works out. Like I, I'm a, I'm a big strategist, so I'm like, well, here's the strategy. And this is what we're going to write to get them there. But all those things in between, we're just going to figure that out along the way. Right. Because I just need the framework and the process, the rest of it. I'm banking on the data that I'm collecting along the way to guide me. Yeah. Makes total sense. So I don't have a 10 year plan either. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I, like I would say 10, 10 years from now, I hope to acquire my farm, but other than that, I don't really have a plan as long as life continues to be, uh, how did you put it, flexible and, and free. As long as, long as life continues to be flexible and free, you know, or Gucci. Right. So now I want to give you the opportunity to tell everybody where they can find you and outsource school. Yeah, I mean, go to OutsourceSchool.com. You can also follow me, Nathan Hirsch, on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, but yeah, if you go to Outsource School, uh, use coupon code MARVIN. You can save 20%. It's either oh, 97 fuck. I didn't bucks. even know he did that, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> In product code, you said MARVIN at OutsourceSchool.com and you save 20%? Nope. Just go to outsourceschool.com. Go click on to enroll in outsource school. Use coupon code Marvin um, and you will get saved 20% off on the yearly membership. So it's either 97 bucks a month. If you go month to month, if you go pay for the year, you save 20%. Um, and, I'm about to go uh, use yeah. my own code. Yeah. You're to go <laughs> use your own code. I'm about to go upgrade from monthly to yearly guys. <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, it was awesome having you on the show. It was incredible getting to know you a bit and a bit more behind outsource school because I do have to say myself, I was curious of how the fuck did this guy arrive to outsource school and now I know the full story behind Nathan. Uh, maybe one of these days you can talk Connor into coming on the show. We can get the other half side of the story too. And uh, and I'm looking forward to see where outsource school goes. Uh, being a member of your community, like I love what you guys put out. I appreciate the amount of thought and effort that goes into it. His team is incredible. My onboarding call was not with him or Connor personally. I wasn't expecting it to. I actually would have busted your balls if it was with somebody. Like if it was with you guys personally, I would have been like, <laughs> what's going on here, you guys? Why aren't you having a VA do this yet? So I was actually she was, it was pretty on point, answered all my questions. And Grace was, is awesome, right? Yeah, Grace is amazing, you know. So it's just like you guys have built an incredible team, an incredible product, and I'm just looking forward to seeing, you know, where you guys go from there. I'm happy to be in your network and part of the growth. Appreciate it, and thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Any last words for the audience before we get out of here? Um, I don't know. Don't give up. And whether it's hiring, running a business, uh, you'll figure it out. And if I can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to me. Absolutely. Do not give up. He can, I couldn't have said better words myself. You guys keep pushing, keep pushing yourselves every day to be the best version of you that you can be. Only you know who that person is. This is Big Marv. Thank you guys for, so much for tuning in. Again, go find Nathan and check out Connor with Outsource School at OutsourceSchool.com. This is Big Marv from Big Marv's Network. One love, guys. Take it easy. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That was another episode of Big Marv's Network. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that like button or that subscribe button, depending on which platform you're streaming this on. If you're on my YouTube, make sure you go ahead and click right here. You can watch the next episode. If you're on any other platform, I'm sure there's a next button. Anyways, this is Big Marv. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support. One love, guys. Take it easy.